I'm delighted to announce that the National Association for Primary Education has exclusively released a video from its Primary Education Summit, Visions for the Future. This video, recorded by me, Mark Taylor, and Al Kingsley, talks about creating digital strategies for schools. This video is available for you to watch now at educationonfire.com forward slash blog, which I really hope gives you a taster of some of the amazing content that was available as part of that Primary Education Summit. That's educationonfire.com forward slash blog. Hello, my name is Mark Taylor and welcome to the Education on Fire podcast. The place for creative and inspiring learning from around the world. Listen to teachers, parents and mentors share how they are supporting children to live their best authentic life and are proving to be a guiding light to us all. Hello, welcome back to the Education on Fire podcast. I wanted just to take a moment to say thank you for all your support and to acknowledge that we very recently passed the 300 episodes here on Education on Fire. That's no mean feat. And a big thank you to all the guests that have been on the show, all the wisdom, all the experience that's been shared here. And hopefully you've got so much out of it. You've had the opportunity to implement something here, something to share. And yeah, really thank you to everybody who's been involved since 2016 which is when we launched so we're heading up to six years now which is just uh, amazing to think about and um, yeah I thank you all so much and one of the things I, I love about here on the podcast of course is talking about what happens in education how we can help and support children but I especially like it when it's someone who not only talks about it but has gone out and made a real impact in the world on a personal level and today I'm chatting to Tanya Sheckley and she's founder and president of UP Academy, an elementary lab school which values innovation, empathy and strength and incorporates a unique neurodevelopment programme for children with physical disabilities. Tanya's vision and mission shows it's possible to celebrate differences, change what's broken in the American education system and that all children can receive a rigorous, well-rounded education. She's an edpreneur, author of Rebel Educator, Create Classrooms of Imagination and Impact and host of the Rebel Educator podcast. She speaks frequently on the future of education and entrepreneurship. She's a rebel educator who works with new and existing schools to question the status quo and develop innovative student experiences through inclusion and project-based learning. I really appreciate Tanya's honesty and authenticity and her openness to share her story in this podcast. So a great thank you to her and I really hope you enjoy this, my conversation with Tanya Sheckley. Hi, Tanya. Thank you so much for joining me here on the Education on Fire podcast. I love the idea of people creating things, being creative, and also being able to give that opportunity to other people in various education settings. So, yeah, thank you so much for joining us from across the pond, as they say. And, and yeah, tell us a little bit about um, exactly where you are in the world and, and the sorts of education that you're involved in. Yeah, thanks, Mark. I'm so excited to be here. I am the founder of Up Academy. We're a progressive elementary and soon to be middle school. We're launching a middle school in 2023 um, in the San Francisco Bay Area. We're in San Mateo, California. Uh, I also have a podcast called Rebel Educator, recently authored a book by the same name, also Rebel Educator, um, but really working towards how we include all students in education um, and how we make it fun and relevant and interesting. So we work with a project-based approach and our school was founded to be inclusive of students with physical disabilities, um, although we have a wide range of learning profiles in the school currently. So how long has the school been active? And, and, and tell us that journey in terms of the idea of it to actually the reality of, of, of making it a, a physical place. Sure. So 
the first part of your question, we're just in year five. Um, the second part of your question is a longer answer. Uh, the idea it was really formed uh, when my oldest daughter was born. My oldest daughter had cerebral palsy and finding the right educational fit for her, she was super curious, intelligent, social, um, but non-ambulatory, non-verbal, and there just wasn't a great school fit for her. Um, and so we started thinking about it and started talking about it. And I had a master's in entrepreneurship and had wanted to start something and had looked at starting a, my first idea was called Gear for Girls, as I like to do uh, outdoor sports. And so it was going to be completely female focused outdoor sporting equipment and gear. Um, I looked at launching a marketing and consulting company that I was working on right before the birth of my daughter uh, and had a few other things and ideas floating around too. Um, but after she was born and working through her brain injury and her challenges and working with specialists and therapists all over the world uh, and then getting into the school system and understanding what they were and weren't able to support. Um, along with my own vision for what that could look like was really the impetus for getting started. Um, she did start in a public school and I was super fortunate that it was an incredible school um, with project-based learning, experienced teachers, engaged community and families. And so that really gave us a lot of the framework and foundation of what we knew an inclusive school could look like. Um, and so launching off of that project-based approach with the inclusion, like I looked at a few special education schools as well and wondering if that was something we wanted to model after, um, but seeing how well she fit in and how well she was included in her class and how much her peers really befriended her. I was terrified as a parent to send her to school because you never know what's going to happen. And I had a child who couldn't come home and tell me what happened at school. Um, but seeing how, you know, how she was befriended, how well she was able to work in project groups, how well her peers and her class were able to all come together and how they all benefited in that was really the foundation for how we launched the school. So I started talking to other parents and finding out if this was something that was interesting to them. As typically here, if you have a child with special needs, they may go to a specialized school and your other children may go to other private or public schools but there aren't very many schools that would accept and have the bandwidth to do education well for all of those students. Um, and the overwhelming response was yes, if we had one place that we could take all of our kids and they could all thrive, that would be amazing. So we started working on that vision and figuring out how to make that happen. So we applied for our 501c3, we're a nonprofit in America, um, and we got that in 2015. And then in the spring of 2016, my daughter unexpectedly passed away. So we were left with a moment of, what do we do now? <laughs> in so many ways, much many more than just the education and the school. Um, but as it pertains to this, we really came to the understanding and the idea that she had taught us so much and we had learned so much about education and about the way it could look and about what was lacking. Um, that we owed it to all of the other kids out there in the world to make it come to life. So we launched and opened in 2018. Um, that was its own rocky road. We originally leased a space and then found out that we weren't going to be able to use that space. The city wanted us to do hundreds of thousands worth of upgrades that we couldn't afford as a new nonprofit startup. 
ended up breaking our first lease two months before we opened, scrambling to find a space in a church that would allow us to rent briefly. So we had a classroom that we had to move into and out of every week, schlep all of our things in on Monday morning and take them all back out again on Friday afternoon um, to run our school during the week. And then we found our location that we're currently in uh, late in 2018 and moved in there. So we've been there and growing for the last, going into five years now, and recently uh, leased a second location in a second building where we'll be opening a middle school in the fall of 2023. Amazing. And and what an incredibly legacy for, for your daughter as well. And thank you so much for, for sharing that. And I, I, as you were talking about it, I was just thinking you were sort of saying about that inclusivity and, and the ability to to have um, people in in the class that that, get, that benefited so much from from the experience of all learning together. And it always strikes me that you know that's people's reality in their home life. You know, they have siblings of different ages. You know, you're all just living life normally, and and that we take for granted because that's how life is. And it makes perfect sense that actually that expansion into a into a, a more formal learning setting could could be just as beneficial. Yeah, there's nowhere else in our life that we're segregated by age <laughs> other than our, our elementary and our schooling years. You know, once you move into the workforce, you know, our school, our workforce is anywhere from 22 to 48, you know, and we're all working together, working towards the same goal. Um, our education system is the only place where we do that. And it doesn't make sense for most students. And if you look at any given classroom, they have a wide range of abilities and levels even within that singular age, singular grouped classroom. So when we can expand that, when we can make multi-ability and multi-age classes, and in our case, we've aligned all of our schedules across all of our classes so that our students can differentiate even further. Um, so they, you know, we have multi-level groups within our classes, but also students who are need more challenge or need more support can go to a different classroom and a different level and a different group to where they really should be developmentally and where their level is for that particular subject area versus how old they are or what grade they're supposed to be in. And just talk a little bit about the the, the, the background in terms of the project-based learning. And by that, I mean, how much kind of formal learning and experience and tuition do children need in order to get the most out of that? Um, and, and how does that work sort of hand in hand with that, you know, the freedom of, of project based learning and, and where that can where that can go based on, on your sort of vision for, for what that might look like? Yeah, that's a really interesting question. Um, and one that I think I'm really lucky that I didn't come from an education background because I didn't have a lot of the preconceived notions around project based learning that I've learned about over the past five years. I didn't know that gifted kids were supposed to be the ones that do project-based learning. It just made sense to me that this was a way that we all learn best. Um, and when we talk to, especially on my podcast, when I talk to people, one question I always ask is, what do you remember from your elementary school years? And typically it's a field trip or a project or something they built or created that sticks out in their memory. You know, from that aspect, I always wonder what our students are going to remember because we do so many projects, like which ones are going to be the ones they remember because they won't possibly remember them all. Um, but from a project-based approach versus a, you know, more traditional what do kids need to know approach, 
you know, of course we need to be effective communicators. We need to have our basic numeracy. We need to have mathematics. We need to have some scientific knowledge of the way the world works. Um, and so how do we mold those things together is a really interesting question. So for us, we create long trimester long deep dive projects that are based on a concept. So for example, right now our concept in school is ecosystems of the galaxy. And so we started learning about space um, and drilled that down into our own ecosystems. And so each classroom is doing taking a different piece of that and looking at it in a different way. Um, but all of the students are working on something to do with ecosystems or space or the galaxy. So one of our classes is building ecosystems on Mars and figuring out what they need. And they've programmed micro bits to be dust sensors so they know when they need to clean their solar panels. And they've decided not to take toys, instead they're taking 3D printers so that they can make everything that they want. Um, our kindergarten and first grade class is learning about the sand shortage and studying sand and patterns and cycles around the world of different beaches. And they've found a specialist who has written a book on the subject, an expert who's actually, I believe in London, um, who's working with our class and teaching them and working them through this. And they're gonna go do a beach cleanup and study some of the beaches around our area. Um, and our middle level class is working with a local group um, about ecosystems of our local trails. And so they met with an organization, they're called Ectera, they're here in Palo Alto. Uh, and they met with them last week and did a hike along our coastal, coastal lands looking at uh, producers and composters and decomposers um, and consumers in the ecosystem on the trail that they were, were walking. And so they'll go back out in a month or so and take the community on that same trail and lead that trail walk with the things that they have learned. Um, so these are examples of the projects. Um, we also have an ELA block and a math block in our day. So those are somewhat separate. However, a lot of what we incorporate in ELA is they might be reading about ecosystems or life cycles or the weather system or different animals. One of our classes right now is growing silkworms. So they're doing a lot of reading and research around that as well. Um, and so we're incorporating the subject matter that we're doing in project into our ELA and often our social studies as well pulls into that. Um, and so while there are separate blocks of time throughout the day, it's still very integrated as a theme throughout the trimester. And I think that the way you described it there so so brilliantly is is the fact that you, I can well, what I can I can feel the excitement of of what is possible in all those experiences that you're doing. But like you say, you, you touch so many different areas in terms of just being outside of the school, in terms of then being inside a building. Like you say, the ability to lead um, another group to, in, into what you're doing and the various different activities, bringing different people into your learning environment that aren't necessarily on staff, and all, all of those things which seem to be a real barrier for so many schools to sort of embrace that and for that to be sort of the launch pad I think is um I guess that that comes from just being able to have that vision of what you wanted and, and allowing it to grow from there well it's one of our graduate standards is influencing action so it's the idea of how do we take all of the things that we're learning within the school building and influence action in the world around us and we can do that 
you know, with children as young as five, six, it's our seven and eight year olds that'll be leading nature walks for the community. Um, but as many ways as we can draw in the community and create an ecosystem of learning for our students, um, supports the whole community and supports our students and supports their efforts and gives them the idea that their ideas are good and that they really can make a difference and make an effort and affect the world in the ways that they want to. And so when we give them that idea from a very young age, as they grow and as they specialize a little bit more and as they discover what it is they like or that they don't like or where their strengths or their weaknesses lie, they know that they have this ability to make those changes and to influence the world. Um, so we're always looking for ways to be authentic in our learning and ways for our students to create influencing actions. Yeah, I love it so much. And is there a kind of um, a grand plan? You sort of mentioned that, you know, you've got a middle school that's starting um, is, is an evolution in terms of, you know, do you then go in older years? Is there an idea of doing a different school in a different area? What's the vision for the future? <laughs> so if you would have asked me two years ago if we were opening a middle school, I would have said no. <laughs> <laughs> um, but sometimes opportunity presents itself and <laughs> here we are. Um, but yeah, we do have a bigger plan. You know, right now we are looking at potentially expanding into another region in California. We are in the process of launching an affiliate network where we will support and help founders all over the world to open up academies um, and become a part of our community and our ecosystem and join our philosophy and our framework. Um, so that is in the works over the next couple of years um, and then continuing to grow our, our main campus in San Mateo. And and currently, how many sort of children do you have on roll and, um, and, and what's the, the complete age range? Yeah, it's a great question. So we are a micro school. We're small by design. All of our classes have a maximum of 10 students in them. Um, and we have three small mixed age classes right now. We have 22 students enrolled this year. Uh, and really we do that so that we can give our students the attention that they need and deserve so that they can build relationships, not only in their own class and with their own teacher, but with the whole school and with every adult that's in the building. We're really working towards creating a safe space, a community space, a community framework where all of the students are welcome. They all know each other. Um, they all play together. They all create together. Uh, and so it's a really, it's a really magical place. Yeah, I can imagine. And I, I, I love the, I think I, I always love the sense of being able to have that intimacy and the the personal interactions, like you say, with, with those sorts of numbers of people. But like you said, the possibility of being able to affect um, a global set of children and educators by sort of being able to model it in various different ways, I think is so exciting. And, and just talk a little bit about sort of your sort of entrepreneurial kind of mindset and, and, and that background and, and how you're sort of, I guess, enjoying that, that those sort of two things hand in hand. Yeah, I mean, that was always our goal was to create a new methodology of education and then to share it with the world so that we could support and help as many students as we possibly could. And so now that our, our elementary has been up and running, it is stable, it is growing, we're growing into a middle school, you know, over the next four years, we'll grow to a size of 60 to 70 students, um, which we still see, we see micro schools as being schools of less than 90 students. Uh, in general, that's about the amount of people that you can build meaningful relationships with. 
um, still know everybody's name, still know something about them, you know, some food that they don't like or what their favorite sport is and, and have a connection with that group of people. Um, so that's our goal in our current location. But like I said, our vision was always to, to be able to create it so that we could bring it into the world. And so we're doing that through the work of building the affiliate network and bringing founders in um, and supporting them in their entrepreneurial journey. One of the things I've done over the past few years is run a little course called the Rebel Educator Accelerator. Um, and that supports people who want to found whatever their vision of their school or program is, um, but coming at it from a, an entrepreneur, you know, an edpreneur, if you will, entrepreneurial education perspective. Um, because I find that a lot of people who want to start schools and want to launch programs are coming from education or their parents who are coming from a different work background um, and different educational background. And they're not always coming with that business background. Whereas I came in with the business background. Um, and so that that's the aspect that is easiest for me to coach and help and support. Um, so we launched that course and it was pretty successful with honestly doing no advertising at all, just saying, hey, we're running this course. If you're interested in starting a program, why don't you join us? Um, and seeing how well that took off, we know that there's a big appetite for new things and there are a lot of people out there that want to start them. Um, so, so giving more support in an affiliate network sort of way um, helps to build our vision of supporting students both with and without special needs in an inclusive environment in a project-based learning, in a space where students have agency and all students build that self-confidence, believing that they can make a difference in the world um, and sharing that vision. And the other thing that we do is some consulting um, and work with other schools, whether they're schools who are already existing, who are looking to bring in a more project-based model or a more inclusive model or launch a school within a school, micro-hub innovation model within their school, um, those sorts of programs who are looking to, to make a shift away from traditional education and challenge that status quo. So as an entrepreneur, my mind is always turning and we're always coming up with new and exciting things to do. <laughs> <laughs> and it's it's having people on my team that hold me back and say no 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 we can't we can't do that yet we've got to put that off a few years or we need to maintain our focus and and stay in our lane so that we can be successful in these things before we branch because um, yeah. I get too excited about all the things. <laughs> Yeah, and I, and I love the word yet, because it's like, it's all there to be had. It's just like you say, it's just the what order and and, and at what kind of speed. And I, I think the, the thing I, I love the most is that we often talk here on the show about, you know, we wish there was a magic wand and the education system could be different o overnight. Um, and the perception is, is that's not possible. Or, you know, we, we share stories and, and, and people that are, are doing things which you can take back into your classroom or into your more sort of traditional school setting that can make a difference or at least have a conversation with people that can make that change. But I think what's so amazing about this conversation and what you're doing is the fact that you've you've taken that and you've created something which has changed albeit not overnight because like i say 2015 is a few years ago now but um but but the sense that not only can i think it can be different but 
you know, you're able to support them to make that a reality. So, of course, there's obviously, like I say, the vision and the hard work, but it means that you can bring your experience, your personal circumstances and and what you'd like to bring to the world. And that there's a framework there to make that a reality. And I think that's incredibly exciting for, I'm sure, for so many people listening. Yeah, we can all do that. And there's, you know, the book, the Rebel Educator book shares lots of ideas that we can do in traditional classrooms, even today, every day to start to make little differences in the way that we look at education and in our students' lives. Um, one of the things I like to talk about is a wonder wall. And that's one of the things we have in all of our classrooms. And I didn't come up with it, I can't take credit for it. Um, but it's an amazing device that allows our students to share their creativity, question the things around them, and create an opportunity for the class to have discussions that they might not otherwise have because they're not gonna fit neatly into the curriculum. Um, and so it's just a space where kids can stick up post-its about whatever's on their mind, whatever their question is. You know, Our kids have put up like, why do frogs jump? And how do cars work? And yesterday I saw on the Wonder Wall, does God exist? So these questions go from small things that you can look up, like we can look up how frogs jump and why they do and have a short discussion around that. We can create a whole project unit around how cars work. Um, and in fact, last year we had an energy unit and our upper level class did cars. They did sustainable, um, sustainable cars and they looked at the way cars work and are created now. And they also looked at biofuels and they built solar cars and they built fuel cell cars and they looked and then they created their own um, like prototype car of the future. Uh, so like those can grow into projects. And then there are questions like, does God exist that, you know, this could be an ongoing existential conversation because <laughs> there's not an easy answer for that. Right. And when you have a group that's as diverse as we have in the Bay Area, we have multiple backgrounds, different heritage, different cultures, different religions, different political views. Um, and so that becomes a really interesting conversation. Um, but having, you know, having some sort of board and place in the room where students can put up questions that they're curious about and then setting aside, you know, 30 minutes a week, even if it's only 20 minutes a week, or maybe it's five minutes a day at closing circle to look at one of those questions really engages students, draws them even deeper into the learning experience, into the family of the classroom. Um, and it's another way to share that their ideas are being heard and that we care about what they're thinking about. Yeah, I love it. So, such a great idea. And, um, and I think as soon as you have that sort of philosophy of just anything is possible or any questions are welcome and like you say and, and the ability to be able to then sort of tailor that and, and organize in it in a way which has the flexibility within your school setting as well I think is is, is such an amazing thing and it's a it's a real gift for everybody and I think it's such a self-fulfilling prophecy isn't it because you're able to kind of say well this has taken us in somewhere that maybe we hadn't thought about when we were thinking about the next sort of few weeks but like I say there's enough time and there's enough enough um, debate and enough conversational time that we can we can take it and see where it goes yeah and that's something that is really important and is difficult for a lot of educators is time and I had that conversation um, with another person earlier this week just about how do we how do we take things off of educators' plates instead of like, we're talking about all the things we could do and all of the projects and how to integrate it. And this is, you know, for a lot of educators, they can be listening and be like, wow, that's a lot more stuff than I'm doing right now. 
how do I add all this stuff to my already packed day and all the things I need to do? So how do we as leaders take things off the plate of our educators so that they do have more bandwidth to have more conversations, to build more relationships, to plan different projects and things in the classroom? Uh, because I was, you know, I was talking to a public school teacher here the other day, and she has one 45-minute prep block a week. You can't plan inquiry learning and project-based approaches for six hours of learning five days a week in 45 minutes. Like that's just not humanly possible. <laughs> um, so how do we take some of these things off, give our educators more time, so that? they can create all of the things that they dreamed of creating when they went into education in the first place. That's so important. And I think that's the thing that comes across so often is the fact that we know the people coming in as educators are incredible people wanting to make that difference. And we need to make that environment such that they feel like they can step into that and, and take the baton on and do it. And um, and that's why, that's why I love this podcast, because to sort of be able to hear how that's possible and also for people to hear how they can take any part of that in, into their into their current life and they even maybe into the, into the next part of their career or their education journey is, is, is really, really exciting. Now, is there an education experience or a teacher that you remember and, and I'm always interested especially someone who's then got into education sort of how that kind of fits in into that vision and what you've created sure I mean I have several educators that I remember both fondly and less fondly <laughs> um, <laughs> I remember my second grade teacher I don't remember her name I remember the name of the teacher across the hall from us um, she had long blonde hair her name was Mrs. Hahn, um, and she had a terrarium in her classroom, and they grew frogs in their terrarium. So they got the tadpoles, and they watched them grow. Um, and I would go before school every day into her classroom to see what was happening in her terrarium, and if the tadpoles had grown, and if the frogs had grown, and what was happening. We didn't do it in my classroom. I don't remember much else about my personal second grade year, but the classroom across the hall had a super cool frog project. Um, I also remember my high school English teacher. Um, I was in AP English classes. Um, I was one of those students who was, I was good at school. I had figured out the game. I kind of knew what I needed to do in order to get really good grades. Um, and so I did those things. And to be honest, I didn't do a lot else that I could have done in class. I didn't learn nearly as much as I could have from the people that were there um, because I had figured out what I had to do to get a good grade, which that's a whole different conversation between being a good student and being a good learner. Um, but in her class, um, I was a good student and she was very strict. You had to be on time. If you were a minute late, you were written up. There were consequences. There was no talking. It was sit up, sit straight, do the work, pay attention. Very high expectations, which I think of any teacher I ever had, she had the highest expectations of her class and of her students. Um, and we all loved her. And I think it was because we knew exactly what those expectations were and exactly where her boundaries were. And that wasn't always clear from different teachers in different areas. So while my school is very different from that, and we are not a sit up, sit straight, listen, regurgitate, get good grades, like work that system, that's not the way we operate. Um, she was still 
stands out in my mind as one of the best teachers um, that I had. The contrast of that was my chemistry teacher where we set stuff on fire and played with different powders. And essentially, as long as we followed the rules of the classroom, it was kind of an anything goes, it's science, let's see what happens. Um, and she won teacher of the year in my state when I was growing up. So it, 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 there was definitely different styles in my school. <laughs> And I, and I think the um I think the boundary thing is really interesting because I think that kind of like you say knowing where you are and and that sort of self worth that comes from the teacher that sort of knows what they're about and that expectation and 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 that being sort of not put onto the pupils but kind of shared is as a philosophy and a way of being I think so often that comes across as a really positive thing that people really get drawn to because you want to be part of something I think sometimes which just feels like it's it's such a positive thing and I think the, the ability to sort of share share the enjoyment of what you're learning but like you say within within that framework which gives you something more than just whatever that academic lesson happens to be and I think I think it's it's an interesting thing for people to think sometimes and I certainly had a music teacher like that who certainly had his times of, of having a, a strong boundary but we had so much fun and so much experience of being able to kind of enjoy music and and to be to have the breadth to be creative within it but you certainly knew either end of that sort of bookend of what was what was what, what was available to you in terms of, mm -hmm. of being relaxed but also where, where where you needed to know that enough was enough and and, uh, and it was time to to call it a day as it were um what's the best piece of advice you've ever been given or maybe is there a piece of advice you might give yourself or your younger self now looking back and, and I do often caveat that with this with the fact that I know that a lot of younger people may not necessarily take that advice on board but if you haven't heard it then then, then you wouldn't know whether it's, it's good bad or indifferent <laughs> um yeah the best piece of advice yep I don't know if this was good advice or terrible advice but I'll share some advice I just gave my daughter so she's moved from our school which is very progressive and narrative based into an international baccalaureate school, which is known a little bit more for their academics. And she just went through a round of summative testing and she was studying all of her Spanish conjugations for her language class. And it was really important for her to do well on the test. And I was talking to her about, I'm like, well, well, yeah, it's important to do well on the test if that's important to you. Like, and it's important to learn the conjugations of the language because that's respectful to the language and to all of the people who speak the language to try and speak it in the best possible way that we can. But also the reality is any language was developed for effective communication. And if you were in a country and doing your best to speak and you use the wrong tense of the word, the other person's going to know what you meant. They're probably going to correct you and you still have effective communication. And that's the whole goal of learning a language. Um, so always keeping in mind, what is the goal of what you're doing? Because the goal isn't that good grade. The goal is, in that case, effective communication with others who speak a language different than the one that we grew up speaking. Um, and so talking to her and, and walking her through that process that you know, also as parents, like, yes, it's important to us that she do well in school, but it's more important to us that she's happy and can effectively communicate her thoughts and needs in the world. Um, and that's not not measured on a test. And it's it's something that we look at as a school all the time is how do we 
how do we assess and how do we share learning with our families and with our students. Um, but something that I, I gave her as a piece of advice of knowing the bigger picture, like the importance of the now, but also the greater importance of the bigger picture is something that we always try and keep in mind in, in lots of situations. Yeah, that I mean, that's incredibly powerful. And I think, well, I'm just curious to know, do you think she's able to take that on board and and run with that based on her experience of, of being in your school before? Because um, one of the things, because I have these same conversations with my kids and I find the hardest thing often for them is the fact that while we have these conversations at home, for sort of six or seven hours a day, they're almost hearing, but it's about the mark, it's about the test. Um, and and to sort of have that sort of self-understanding of it, there's more to it than that, and I understand there's more to it than that, and not get drawn into sort of that sort of, I need to do well with a, a mark or a percentage. Uh, I'm, I'm sort of curious about what you think about that. Yeah, I mean, I think it's both. I think there's that ongoing competition at school that she's only learning about and becoming a part of now. Um, and I think there's also an understanding of the bigger picture and that it's important but not important at the same time. Um, you know, and, and I feel like, you know, as parents and as educators that we're always planting seeds. I'm not going to tell her something and give her a piece of advice and that's not going to instantly change her life and she's going to look at the world in a completely different way. But it's now I've planted the seed of an idea that then, you know, two months, six months, two years down the road, we have another conversation that plants the next part of that seed or continues that plant growing um, so that hopefully, hopefully it becomes more ingrained over time and that idea takes root. Um, but there's nothing that we can do, you know, as parents or as educators to make another human believe that this is the right thing or this is the wrong thing, right? We're always just sharing ideas and planting seeds. And so we, we do as much of that and, and so as, as great of a garden as we possibly can for them and what they choose to pick and eat from that, um, it becomes their own journey. I love that. So beautifully put. And uh, yeah, the seed, I, I, I think that's fabulous. It's such a great analogy and, and, and the ability to keep going back to it. And also, I love the fact that, like you say, when you come back to it, you come back to it at a different a different stage because they're like say there's been a germination progress uh, um, experience there in terms of what they've learned since so they're coming at it from a slightly different standpoint because they're a little bit further into their journey there and and that's the other thing is the fact it is their journey isn't it like you say you can you can share all these things but what they take from it and what they need from it at any given time is going to be different as well so yeah i think that's incredibly important now, is there a resource you'd like to share? And this could be personal or um, professional, but it could be anything from a book, a video, podcast, song, any, anything which has had a bit of an impact. Um, sure. So I think like as far as influence and impact on my life, one of the biggest influences and sources of conversation and support for launching the school and for my career in education has been my father-in-law. Um, he is a professor of education um, and was a Ray Nieg fellow at the University of Connecticut. And his progressive ideas on how we learn um, has really shaped a lot of what we do. He did all of his, his research on 
essentially, you know, experiential education and the best ways for us to learn and how learning best sticks with the brain sticks, you know, in quotes, but how, <laughs> how those ideas and, and, you know, how we're able to transfer things that happen in our life into learnings in other places and what we learn into school in the world. Um, and all of his research has really informed a lot of the things we do at the school. Um, I think if I look to like leadership and other things that have made a big impact, um, there was a book, it's called The Hard Thing About Hard Things. And I don't remember the author offhand, but we can probably look that up. Um, yeah, for sure. But there were, you know, in all of the management and leadership books that I've read, that was the one that seemed to have the most tangible advice and information in there. Or maybe it was just the one that like hit me at exactly where I was at that moment in time. Yeah. But there were a couple of different things that they talk about in there. And one is the idea that anytime you have a startup, the CEO of that startup is not qualified to be the CEO. You, you learn those skills through the experience of actually starting and growing the company and the organization. And I think about my journey as a leader and where I was five years ago versus who I am today. And it's been such a journey of personal and professional growth um, that I absolutely was not qualified to lead an organization five years ago. And there are still aspects of my <laughs> development that need <laughs> continual development as they are with all of us, um, but I've gotten so much better at it. And so that idea that when you start something new, you're not qualified to start it, but it's that, you know, that set of entrepreneurs that say, well, I can do that. Like, even though you're not qualified, right? <laughs> and we go yeah. and we do it and we make it happen. Um, so that was one idea from that book. And the other one was he was talking about having, having employees who were great people. They were just great people at the wrong time. And this was one of the things that happened early on in our school as well, is that I was hiring educators with a lot of education experience, and I wanted them to help me create this vision and this school, but I didn't yet have all of the leadership skills to be able to impart what it was exactly that I wanted from the school and that they were supposed to create. And there were times when I just ended up letting people go and it wasn't because they were bad people or even necessarily bad at their job. It honestly had more to do with the fact that I just wasn't a good enough leader to develop them into the people that they needed to be to grow our school. Um, and so that idea of understanding your own limitations um, when you're working with the people around you and how do you, how do you become the person that can develop them into the people they need to be. And, and that's that's part of growing into that CEO role too. Um, so it's, it's a book that I think about frequently um, as we grow in leadership, as our organization grows and changes, as I'm you know, working with other people in our organization and developing them into new roles as well. It's, it's been fun to watch and fun to grow. And I think back to you know, the hard thing about hard things and I'm like, yeah, this is a hard thing. <laughs> It's a hard thing for all of us. 
Yeah, and that flexibility because of of all the sort of recent history in terms of years of being able to be needing to be flexible in the world not being quite as you expected it to be a year or two from <laughs> when he started. But then that's a whole other conversation. I'm sure. Indeed. Um, um, and and finally here, um, the acronym FIRE is really important to us as education on FIRE. And by that, I mean feedback, inspiration, resilience and empowerment. And I'm always just curious, what's the thing that strikes you when you when you hear those four words and what do you think maybe is the most important? They're all important. They all work together. <laughs> um you know, you have to be empowered to take on new challenges. You have to be resilient to keep going is one of the things that I keep seeing, especially over the tumult of the last few years is it's not the people who are the strongest or the smartest or the brightest that are successful. It's those that don't stop. You just keep going. You keep learning different things. You keep trying new things and you have that resilience. Um, so I guess if I had to choose one in this moment, that might be the one I would choose. <laughs> yeah, yeah. But I, I love where you started because I, I think that's the thing that struck me. It was my daughter that came up with these when we were chatting about it. We were doing a um, a car journey back from gym, and um, I was being asked, you know, you know, what is education on fire about? What does it really stand for? You know, and and I said, well, all of these things are kind of the backbone of what I believe in. You know, and we sort of take snippets of different people's conversations, and it was the fact that it was all of these things. You know, it fitted with into the acronym, but actually, it was like saying they were all incredibly important for being able to. Bring all these threads together to, to to make learning and education what you need both while you're at school but also sort of as you get older as well which is why why they're so important fantastic well Tanya thank you so much for one for being here thank you for your honesty and and so being so authentic about your journey and what you're trying to do um I'm incredibly excited about the possibility of people all over the world being able to take this as a as a philosophy and a, and a blueprint to be able to put their stamp on it in order to make it work with their experiences and, and their visions as well. So tell people um, where they can find out more and, and how they can get involved with that journey with you. Of course. So our, our local school website is upacademysf.com. And that's, um, that's for our, our school here in San Mateo. And you can learn more about the work that we do. Uh, and then you can also look to rebeleducator.com. And this has our consulting work. There's a project library and the way we work with other schools and organizations, as well as the next time we'll run the Rebel Educator Accelerator program. Um, and then I have my own personal website as well, tanyasheckley.com for um, other outreach, speaking engagements, other ways that you want to get in touch with me. Fantastic. And we'll have links to all that on the show notes as well. So people can just click straight through. So thank you so much, Jenna. I really appreciate that your time and uh, and everything that you've put into this. It's um it's inspirational, which is the reason I do it. And to get the chance to speak to people who not only want to talk about it, but who are actively in the world making things happen is um is amazing. So yeah, thank you so much. Thank you, Mark. Thank you for listening and being part of this wonderful community. With over 300 episodes, I've collated 20 resources from guests that have been on the show to help you in your educational journey and those of you involved with young people. Just go to educationonfire.com and you can sign up on the homepage. Thanks for listening to the Education on Fire podcast. For more information of each episode and to get in touch, go to educationonfire.com. Education is not the filling of a pail, but the lighting of a fire.